Hey there. Welcome to episode 28 of ATL and 29, the podcast that looks at the NBA from the starting point of Atlanta. My name is Kevin Chenard. Today's guest is Chris Willis, overall guru at Peachtree Hoops. Chris and I discuss the Hawks' improbable 126-125 overtime comeback win over the Cavs, Chris's preferred playoff opponent, the Hawks' approach to staggering their starters over the course of the season, and what he's seen from Torian Prince in recent weeks. Today's episode was made possible by Poli Mortgage Group. Poli Mortgage Group, rates, integrity, service. Thanks for joining us. Let's get started. discuss the improbable 126-125 overtime victory that the Hawks rung up Sunday. Welcome, Chris. Hey, hey, thanks for having me again. I appreciate it, man. I was I blown away after that game today. I don't even know what to think anymore. <laughs> <laughs> well, that doesn't bode well. That's my first question. All right, wait, wait, wait. before we do that, I, I'm going to uh, hold you to some very quick opinions on the award races so let me before we get into the hawks too much uh who do you like as let's say the sixth man of the year man that's you know that's a good question you sent me this thing these today and i'll be honest with you i know it's been a hot topic on twitter but i haven't really paid that much attention to it uh you know the award races but uh you know i, I tried to do a little research before we started recording tonight and man i didn't realize just kind of how wide open this was i mean that we, you know, the MVP has been very advertised, but sure. you know, even, even there's not, I don't think there's a clear cut answer for the sixth man or the rookie of the year either. But, uh, you know, I mean, after looking at it today, I, I think the top two candidates are both play on the same team and, uh, you know, I'm going to give the edge and go with Eric Gordon. I just okay. think he's had a, he's had a heck of a turnaround in Houston this year. I think he's been, um, you know, I think Harden gets the headlines and rightfully so, but I, think uh, i think gordon's been really really solid for them um as well so uh you know i, I he's a he's a guy i always liked too i mean he got that had those hurt um had those injuries in new orleans uh seemed like everybody kind of forgot about him a little bit but he's healthy and man he's showing that he can play um you know and that's no slide at lou williams who was really good but i think that uh trade from the lakers to the rockets may have actually hurt him as far as the uh Baladin went because I think he would have continued to put up some really big numbers, uh, you know, had he stayed in Los Angeles. So, uh, but yeah, I'll go with Gordon. I like that one. I like that one a lot. That, that makes perfect sense. All right. So yeah, now to the two that have been a little bit uh, more widely advertised, who do you like as the rookie of the year? Man, you know, I don't think there is a good answer for this. <laughs> I mean, I, 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 I've changed. I've changed just a couple of times in the last hour. Uh, you know, just trying to think this through. I mean, you know, it's easy. I mean, we know who it should have been, and uh, and who it still sure. could be. But I mean, Joel Embiid was by far the most impressive rookie we saw <laughs> this season. I mean, but the problem was we just didn't see him enough. Um, you know, and, and I've kind of went back and forth on this. I, at first, I didn't think it really mattered how much he played. Uh, but then when you start looking at it, just how little he did play, you know, I think it, I think it's going to play a factor. Um, you know, I've been really impressed with Malcolm Brogdon. Um, I know Dario Saric has had a, has come on of late too. 
Uh, but you know, if I had to, I had to, I had a vote and I had to cast it today, I'd probably go with Brogdon because, uh, you know, I just, I just think he's really solidified that Bucks team in a lot of ways. And, and the few times I got to see him, uh, against Atlanta, he didn't look like a rookie to me, you know, and I think that's one of the best things, um, you can say about a rookie, uh, you know, it's when he doesn't, uh, you know, he's, he doesn't make those rookie mistakes and, uh, um, whatnot. So yeah, if I had to vote today, I mean, I think it should have been Embiid, um, but you know, if he'd played ten more games, it might have changed my mind. But I, as of today, I would go with Brogdon. Absolutely. All right, we're two for two on matching up here. It's uh, it'll be a boring podcast <laughs> if we just agree on everything. But uh, who do you like for MVP? Well, you know, I've been solidly James Harden uh, all season long. Um, you know, I know, uh, I've, I've tried to come up with ways to give this thing to Kawhi Leonard and I'll be honest with you, Russell Westbrook probably gained some steam today, just seeing him hit that game winner, uh, against the Nuggets and, uh, you know, break the, uh, was 42nd triple double. I mean, it's, it, that sounds amazing, but, and it really is. I mean, when you look at it, you look at it, you've got all these legitimate candidates and I mean, there's really no wrong answer in all this. Uh, but I just look at a guy like Harden. I mean, he's he's his numbers. He, he's a little below uh, Westbrook, but I mean, I've just been so impressed with his passing. Um, I think he's a natural fit for Dan Tony's system. The Rockets were a team that a lot of people were afterthought. You know, a lot of people were projecting them for the seventh, eighth seed if they made the playoffs at all. You know, coming in, there wasn't a whole lot of fanfare about them. Uh, he's not the greatest defender in the world, but I think he's been better, uh, better than we've certainly seen him in the past. Uh, so, you know, I just, I, I've been just really impressed by the way he passes the ba- uh, basketball. I mean, uh, you, you, you know, you, you read about the scoring, you, you hear about all, all the free throw attempts and how he, you know, how he gets the line. But, you know, this guy, this guy's a heck of a distributor as well. And, uh, you know, I, I, to me, I just feel like, like you know, Houston wouldn't even be in the in the conversation uh, for the playoffs if they didn't have James Harden. And uh, you know, while that's probably true for the uh, Westbrook and the Thunder as well, I just I just think this is Harden's uh, Harden's been the best player this season, top to bottom. Okay, finally we disagree. <laughs> <laughs> I don't even know who the MVP is, but I I don't know. I'm kind of leaning towards Kawhi. I know the argument for Russell Westbrook in a lot of cases is like, who's he playing with? But you, know, you look at the Spurs, and it's like, who's Kawhi playing with? He's playing with David Lee and 900-year-old Manu Ginobili, and you know, LaMarcus Aldridge is pretty good, and Danny Green's pretty good. But it's not like you take Kawhi off that Spurs roster, and you look at the names that are left, and you say, oh my gosh, there's so much talent, you know? <laughs> so I, I think I'd have to lean, lean Kawhi, but... I well, he, he's, a, he's a very... Close second on my list too, and uh, I kind of thought you might go that direction uh, also. But uh, you know, I am telling the truth. Harden's been my guy since early on. But uh, you know, I don't think, like I said earlier, I don't think there's a, a wrong answer here. No. I think there's a case to be made for LeBron James. And if uh, Chris Paul hadn't been hurt for a month, I think he had. You know, I think he had a, a war- worthy case as well. So it's just it's been kind of. I don't remember ever a season where this many guys. You know had uh had a you know a, a worthy case to be made for being the mvp so it's it's been a heck of a year from that standpoint what do you make of the uh what do you make of that crazy game today that was i don't, what do Man, you think of that? that was one of the most improbable 
outcomes I've ever seen. You know, and I mean, we've seen, you know, I mean, how many times you you watch basketball enough, you you see teams let up, you know, in the fourth quarter there after they've dominated the first three, and you know, the team will usually come back, make it respectable, but uh, you know, to you very seldom I think see them come all the way back, force overtime, get down in the overtime, and then and come all the way back and win again. Um, you know, I mean, it, w- it was outstanding. I mean, because it was a stinker for three quarters. I mean, if you were a Hawks fan, but, um, you know, I don't know how to explain it. Uh, you know, I mean, there's a lot of things that jump out at you. The Hawks go small, um, you know, and it seems to click the ball movement returns. I think they had one less assist in the fourth quarter than they had the first three combined. Um, you know, the defense picks up, they get, they get active, they force nine turnovers, um, you know, and I think that's what it's about for this group. But, uh, yeah, I mean, you know, I look at it from two, two vantage points. I think the Hawks, you know, that's a momentum building win. And as last three games have all been, um, you know, and that's a good sign heading into the postseason. But then, you know, from the other spectrum, you look at this from the Cavs and the way they've struggled lately, uh, you know, you wonder if that's, if that's the point where they're going to galvanize and, and make a run, or if, if we're going to look back, you know, a month from now and say, you know, that's, that was the day it all ended for this, this Cleveland team. You know, I think, I think that's a loss that may stick with them for a little while. So, you know, I'm kind of interested to see how the Hawks respond, but I'm also kind of interested to see how Cleveland responds as well. When you, when you look at those games, games the last three games that the Hawks have won it's Boston against Cleveland against Cleveland and they're they're teams that they might face later on down the line there's no guarantee of that but you know it's a possibility how much gamesmanship is there in terms of teams not wanting to really reveal their game plan going into playoffs you know the defensive coverages that they might use or the rotations or certain plays how much do you think they go vanilla in the last week, week, two weeks of the season to just kind of play it safe and make it so that teams can't scout them very well. Yeah, I think that's definitely a part of it. And, um, you know, but I think it's true for just about the entire regular season. I mean, the way the schedule is, you're traveling, there's no practice days. Um, you know, I think you just pretty much approach every opponent from a, a pretty vanilla standpoint i mean yeah there's some adjusted there's some blanket adjustments that might work for you know two or three different teams but i think the playoffs a whole nother monster in in itself and um you know i think you got to be really careful looking at uh regular season results and using those as the sole projection for the playoffs because I, i just think it's a different animal altogether um, you know, in some cases that's going to be a good thing for the Hawks, but in other cases it might not be as good. But, uh, um, you know, I just, uh, in a playoff series, we've seen all the adjustments, you know, and I'll, I'll think back to a couple of years ago in that Brooklyn series when, uh, uh, you know, everybody kind of felt like the Hawks, uh, played bad. They beat the Nets in six, uh, you know, six games. Uh, but you know, I thought it was interesting. Brooklyn did everything they could to take Kyle Corver out of the, out of the equation and Demari. Carroll was the lucky recipient of that, and he burned them. You know, he <laughs> burned them in four four of those games. You know, and uh, right. um, I think you see you're going to see a lot of that. You're going to see the chess match. You know, where today we're going under, tomorrow they may trap out of the pick and roll. You know, the next day it might be somebody else's uh, is time. And I think that's what makes playoff uh, playoff basketball in the NBA you know so special 
uh, you re- you can really immerse yourself in the series and see the chess match, you know, if uh, if you know where to look. So, uh, but yeah, I, I mean, to answer your question, I think it I think it plays a huge part. You know, I don't think anybody's. I think people are taking notes all the time, and I don't think you ever see the total package um, when it comes to a, a team's game plan until the postseason. That's funny. In hearing you talk about that, it jarred my memory that you know in those games. In the Boston game, it seemed like Atlanta did everything that they could do to make sure that Marcus Smart was the one shooting. I mean, they gave him wide, wide opening shots, and to his credit, he made a bunch of them. But it was clear that he was the player that they wanted shooting. And I thought we were going to see some more of that today when Iman Shumpert was playing. And it it seemed like they didn't quite get into it in the same way that they did for Marcus Smart. Yeah, and I mean that's a you know I mean every game's different, so it's it's kind of really hard to you know to zero in on that. But I think that's the goal of any defense. I mean, you try to figure out who's going to hurt you. I mean, we were talking uh, we were talking on site today about uh, you know the Hawks three point defense, and you know they'd give up a ton of three pointers to the Cavs. Uh, it seems like over the last two years. Uh, but you know, I mean, you and I have both been there. We've listened to Bud talk about how running guys off the three point line. You know, is is I don't want to say it's the top of the list when it comes to the game plan, but we've heard him talk about that a lot. Sure. Um, but with the Cavs, it's so tough because you've got to be mindful of of LeBron driving to the basket, Kyrie Irving, good one on one player. You know, I mean, it's, it's really tough. And and when you help, if you know that rotation's just a tick slow, and in some cases with a good passing team like Cleveland, Golden State, Boston. It doesn't really matter how on point the rotation is. That pass is going to be there a split second before. And sometimes, you know, some of these guys, that's all they need. And, um, you know, I think we saw that with the Cavs more than once over the last couple of years. I mean, they don't need – there's a lot of times – they've made a lot of threes even with a defender there. Um, So, you know, I – but, you know, it's going to be interesting to see how the Hawks approach these series. And, uh, you know, and and I'm not sure, you know, I don't know if we'll play Boston, if we'll play Cleveland. Um, But, uh, you know, I'm I'm anxious to see what kind of adjustments they make from the regular season to how they do things in the playoffs. Yeah, today Budenholzer was was asked, you know, did did they try different coverages to to slow Cleveland from the three-point line? And Bud's answer, and I quote, was, we tried everything. <laughs> and I think he's right. I mean, if you look at the course of the game, you know, I think they were trying to play over the screen on the pick and roll in the first half. And, you know, that required bringing a third defender into the play on a lot of cases. And the Cavs swung the ball and found the open shooters. And they were not only making a bunch of threes, but they just had a huge volume of really quality shots that they were getting out of that. Then they came out in the second half and they were playing under the screen, you know, just daring Kyrie and LeBron to keep the ball and shoot it themselves. And they did a perfectly fine job of that too. And then I, I thought we saw some changes in the fourth, starting with one, you know, Dwight Howard was playing less. And I think, you know, if in, in a game where Channing Fry is the center, that's just a really tough matchup for him. Even though, you know, it's either whether he guards Love or whether he guards Fry. It's, you know, they're they're pulling him out to the three-point line and sort of negating him that way. So he played less. We saw more Millsap guarding LeBron himself, which I thought was a key. And then I think they played more switching. Yeah, the switching was the thing that kind of jumped out at me. And, and you're right about that small lineup. I think that's one of the intriguing 
things of going small if you're Atlanta um, is is the ability to switch out on everything. And uh, I think they've had, had their most success, uh, you know, in that in that regard uh, this season defensively. Uh, but yeah, it's you know it's it's that series within a series kind of uh, the matchup within a matchup. Uh, you know, is you you make a good point. You know, if Tristan Thompson's in there, then you you need Dwight a little more. Um, you know. But if uh, I thought you know you you had a, you had the tweet right off the bat you know that they had uh, Millsap guarding uh, Love I mean uh, uh, Howard actually guarding Love yeah. and uh, and Millsap out on Channing Fry and I think I responded to you I didn't like either one of those matches sure but, right I mean I think it makes yeah. sense if those and, are the four guys on the court but it's not right. like I love it right exactly it's not there's not really a great answer you know, when that's the, when that's the scenario. So I think, you know, you may see it start that way, but I'm not, I'm not real sure that you're going to see it, um, you know, play out very long. Uh, you know, if, it, if they do meet in a playoff series that way, and then, you know, and then you look at some of these other potential series, a guy like a, a matchup with Toronto or a matchup with Washington and Dwight may be a, a much bigger factor against more traditional guys like bouncy Eunice and, uh, Gortat. So, uh, you know, that's just something we'll have to see, you know, see how they approach it. But, uh, you know, I, I think I've loved the Hawks small ball, uh, attack this year. I think they've been really good to, you know, when they have put Millsap at center and, uh, you know, just really, really kind of spread things out both offensively and defensively. Yeah. You're a mind reader. Cause that's kind of leading to my next question, which is, you know, the, the playoff race firmed up quite a bit in the last couple of days. I believe Toronto is locked in. I shouldn't say that. Washington is locked in at four. Uh, the Hawks could finish anywhere from five to seven, which means really they could play anybody in the top four as it currently stands. They could play Boston. They could play Cleveland, Toronto, or Washington. Um, I think the most likely are Washington and Toronto. Uh, I guess I would ask you, who, which team do you like most as a Hawks opponent out of Washington or Toronto? And then if you feel like it, you can expand it to Cleveland or Boston. Uh, well, I mean, man, that's a, it's a really tough question and I don't have a, my answer is going to be a little strange because it's going to be, it's going to kind of contradict itself. But I mean, I would probably guess I would rather play the Wizards. Um, just for the simple fact, I mean, I looked at the numbers. I don't, they don't really back me up on this but it just seems like uh john wall's had some stinkers against atlanta over the last couple of years i mean he's had a lot of games with some high turnover high turnovers and then for whatever reason the hawks seem like they've done a decent job against him at times uh you know the last last meeting between the two teams notwithstanding but um you know i look at that toronto uh washington's been really good at home uh but i don't think home court advantage in washington's going to be the same as going to toronto and, um, you know, when you look at this Hawks team, they've been about the same at home as they have been on the road. Uh, but as the fifth or sixth seed, they're going to have to steal one, uh, you know, away from Phillips Arena. So, um, you know, I'll, I'll go with the Wizards, uh, but I don't think either one of them are, are really intriguing <laughs> matchup. You know, it, and the, the thing that really jumps out at you is the backcourt, you know, in both of those series. <laughs> you know, which backcourt's going to uh, establish itself, you know, and, and because I think, I think that's that's going to be that's going to be the direction you go uh, when you figure out who wins a series is, is which backcourt actually plays better if it's Lowry or DeRozan or if it's the Beal or Wall or you know Schroeder Hardaway or some combination of Schroeder Baysmore you know whoever 
I think they're good guard play is going to win out, you know, in the first round matchup. Yeah, when you mentioned uh, Wall has had some games against the Hawks where he hasn't looked so good. It, again, I'd have to double check the numbers to back it up, but it seems seems like seems like he's had some okay games maybe against the Hawks, but like seems like he's had some bad starts. Like it seems like in the games that that they've played against the Hawks so far this season, you know, his first quarter has been his worst quarter, and eventually, you know, he gets a, a fast break layup or something. And that kind of triggers an improvement in his game, but it seems like he he's uh, gotten better as he goes along. But I'm gonna have to look that up and do some research. Well, Hawks have two games left. Uh, I asked Dennis Schroeder last week uh, about the workload that he's had this season. You lead the team in minutes. You lead the team in games, and it's your first year as a starter. Is the workload what you expected? You know, for physically speaking, running into all those picks and things like that. I mean, it's tough, you know, uh, it's, it's not easy, but I think we got good coaches, good trainers who are taking care of me and uh, the team, and um, I think everybody's fresh still, and, uh, you know, lifting and everything is important, you know, to uh, keep your legs fresh and uh, ready to go. You know, you've seen uh, the Hawks have rested some players at times, they've rested Howard, and the ones that they haven't rested have had some injuries, you know, Millsap kind of got a break, uh, you know, th- through his knee injury and some other guys as well. The player that's played the most games and played the most minutes is is Schroeder. And, you know, with Schroeder in particular and maybe the team in general, how would you go about balancing the ideas of, uh, you know, tuning things up versus resting players over the last couple of games? Man, that's a difficult question. And I've never – I, I... You know, I've never really felt like I've, uh, you know, hit on this, uh, that there is a correct answer. Um, You know, and I look at the Ox here, you know, I'd I'd rather play Washington, uh, but I'd also rather be, I wouldn't mind being away from the uh, Cleveland in the bracket. You know, uh, I'd much rather play Boston in the second round as I had had the Cavaliers in the second round, even, you know, uh, even even though the Hawks beat the uh, Cavs three out of four. so, you know, I mean, it's a, it's a catch 22. I mean, I think you, you really need to be healthy, but at the same time, you know, you don't want to, you don't want you want to keep this momentum that the Hawks kind of build up over the last week. So, you know, I think Bud's, I think what we've seen, we've seen a lot of deep rotations lately. Um, and that's one way Bud can approach this is, uh, is playing 11, 12 guys, um, you know, without completely resting people. Uh, you know, I know I've, I've gotten a lot of people pointing out, you know, you can't play 11, game, 11, 12 guys and expect to win. Well, I don't think they're going to be trying to do that in the playoff. I think, I think you're going to see 10, nine or 10 guys, you know, getting out there every night. They're not going to go much further than that. But, uh, um, you know, uh, I mean, to me, to me, I, I just think you need to go in on a winning note, uh, particularly with, the way this Hawks team's been up and down all year, I think, uh, you know, they've built some momentum. Uh, it seems like here the second half, they win three in a row, they lose three in a row. And, uh, you know, I think it's kind of important for them to kind of reverse that trend. So I don't know that I would be really resting resting people over the last two. I mean, it is a back-to-back. You know, if you're locked into your seed uh, come after Tuesday night, then, yeah, maybe you, you just go ahead and, punt that last game but uh you know i think i approached that last game at home 
uh, you know, as a, as a win and, um, and then go, you know, kind of reevaluate it after it. Yeah. And, and it would be good if they can, and I don't know the exact situation, but Chris Vivlamore tweeted something to this effect uh, earlier tonight. And that was that uh, Tabo Cephalosha is close and I'm sure they'd love to get him a, a dress rehearsal before they head into the playoffs. Yeah, yeah, I think that could be important as well. And I mean, it's gonna they're gonna have some interesting decisions to make too, because I think you know a guy like Torian Prince has played well. Uh, you know, Dunleavy's shown that he can be serviceable um, as well. And uh, you know, they've got a lot of options depending on the matchup. You know, and it's it's one of those. It almost feels like one of those situations where you may see one or two players again if they play this certain team, and then you play may see two completely different players you know, if they draw somebody else. So, sure. um, you know, but I mean, uh, yeah, I think Dabo, Dabo's an interesting case. Um, you know, I could see him playing a lot. I could see him not playing a whole lot, you know, when the playoffs get here. But it, it, uh, I think I'm, I agree with you. I think they'd like to get him back in there probably for just a little bit of time, you know, maybe even one of these last two games. All right. I'd like to take a minute to talk about today's sponsor, Poli Mortgage Group. Poli Mortgage Group encourages people to shop rates when they're looking to refinance or buy a new home. They have some of the lowest rates in the country and some of the lowest closing costs, too. They'll even give you a quote where they'll credit you money towards your closing costs or cover all of them. Check them out at www.polimortgage.com. That's www.polimortgage.com. Or call 781-232-8000. Make sure to tell them the ATL and 29 sent you to receive a credit of $50 towards your closing costs. Offers cannot be combined with other offers. Poli Mortgages, Rates, Integrity, Service. All licensing information is in the show notes. Poli is an equal housing lender. Well, I think, you know, getting back to that idea of rotations, <clears throat> one question that the Hawks have to figure out an answer to is how exactly they want to work their big man rotation, specifically with regard to staggering. Early in the season, we saw Millsap leaving the game early and coming back in to play a lot with the bench units. And then in recent months, we have seen it flipped where they'll just play two bench bigs together. So I asked Budenholzer about that this week, and here's what he said. Early in the season, um, you used Paul Millsap a lot with the bench, and then... You know, just now in the last game, you used Paul Millsap off the bench, so he was playing with the bench. But in between, I think there were a couple months where you had a lot of five-man bench units together. How do you weigh playing him some with the bench guys versus, you know, just having units that are entirely consisting of sub-players? Sub yeah, I would say, you know, for the most of the time that I've been here, you know, I'd, I'd say we mix and match. We usually have, you know, one or two starters on the court and don't go with kind of the wholesale um, bench group but uh you know, the last month or so i think we've experimented some we've used that some but you know i think that was before paul got hurt and um or, or even some i think while paul was hurt um and we'll just kind of see a little bit of his gut a little bit of its feel um you know and i think until paul is kind of back up to a normal minutes it's you know i think we're a couple steps away from you know thinking of what we'll, what we will or won't do All right, Chris, uh, with that in mind, what do you think the Hawks will be doing in the last couple of games and into the playoffs uh, with respect to staggering? 
Well, I'm not sure what what you see in the last two, couple of games will be what you see in the playoffs. Uh, but you know, I'm I'm a fan of the, of going back to the stagger, and uh, you know, I thought they had some success with that early, particularly in that nine and two start. Uh, but, you know, I'm going to throw back to last year in the playoffs. You know, it seemed like the Hawks tried to go with the bench unit a lot of times, um, you know, and we would see the other teams staggering, uh, you know, and having two or three starters out there. I, I think we've seen this now for a couple of seasons, and it's not been it's not been a good look. Now, Atlanta's bench has been really good, you know, the last couple of days, you know, uh, I mean, last week or so, you know, you can you can really see that. But it seemed like that comes on the heel of a, a, a stretch where they weren't. Um, quite as playing quite as well uh but you know i think an interesting wrinkle to that is is you know bud's not really sold on a, any certain starting lineup now you know i mean we don't know if it's <laughs> going to be tim hardaway jr coming off the bench he's been really careful not to back himself into a corner you know with naming who's going to start uh you know it, you, we could see baysmore coming off the bench uh you know, so, you know, that can that could change a few things there. Um, you know, I think Ilyasova was a solid pickup and in that front line. But I'd like kind of like to see him stagger, uh, keep Millsap out there, keep Howard out there. And I think you've got enough versatility with guys like Ilyasova, Muscala, and even Chris Humphreys uh, that they could play either spot, um, you know, and can play with Paul or, or Dwight and um you know, I think I think there's that's the best uh, that's the best bet, particularly in the, you know, in a playoff setting. If they stagger, how do you like things paired up? Do you like Dwight with Urson and Paul with Muscala, or do you like Mus- uh, Muscala with Dwight and Paul with Urson? How how do you figure they'll shake that out? Yeah, that's a, you know that's tough. I I kind of <laughs> like I kind of like Muscala at the four. Um, but I know we haven't seen quite as much of that. Uh, so I'm not real confident that they'll go that route. I think you could even see maybe, um, a three man rotation there. Um, you know, where it's, uh, Ursan off the bench, uh, and you see him play next to Dwight for a little bit of time. And then you see Paul come back in in a small, small lineup and play with Ursan, uh, as well. So, you know, it's a little hard to say until we really know for sure who they're going to be playing against and what the what their front court situation is. Um, but uh, you know, I, I'm for I'm for Millsap getting a, a probably a, getting a few extra minutes as long as that knee will hold up. Um, you know, I think they're going to need him on the court as much as they can get him out there. Um, you know, in a, in a playoff series. Yeah, and I, th- I think the one thing that we can safely predict is that at the end of halves and at the end of quarters you'll see Millsap out there with one of the bench bigs I don't think they like playing Dwight as much the last few minutes you know for you know being in the bonus for foul trouble and things like that and being able to switch I think you'll see either Millsap Muscala or Millsap uh, Ilyasova to close quarters and close halves yeah, I agree with that as well. And, um, you know, that was one thing I know, I, I know we talked about the Cleveland game earlier, but I, I was kind of, uh, I was kind of a little surprised, you know, we've seen down the stretch of, of a lot of these games in the second half, you know, teams just hacking Dwight when he gets the ball in low post position, but Cavs didn't really do that today a whole lot. You know, he got some no. low post touches and, uh, scored over, over the defender. You know, they, uh, you didn't see that foul right away. Um, but you know, I think Washington showed earlier in the year, uh, or earlier in the last meeting that, you know, they weren't going to let Dwight power his way up to the rim, you know, and a lot of teams are just going to, I think a lot of teams are going to, uh, uh, adopt that strategy in the playoffs, 
so, you know, that'll be something else that's interesting to watch as well. Interesting. All right. Um, I- I'm intrigued by Torian Prince, and I, I'm curious to, to figure out uh, whether or not he'll be in the playoff rotation. Um, in looking at these games against Boston and Cleveland and then Cleveland again, do you think that the Hawks are almost force-feeding him minutes? I mean, it seems like they wanted him out there against LeBron the last couple of games. Yeah, I mean, I think that was a that was an interesting note when uh, you know I saw that on our our, our pre-pod uh, sheet, and I you know it got me thinking, and I think you're right. I, I mean, I think they look at at Torian as he's a guy, you know, athletically um, from an athletic standpoint, they need him to be able to come in and guard a guy like LeBron, and and you know you might even see him on a guy like Otto Porter. Um, you know, in a Washington series, uh, you know, I mean, I think they tr- really tried. Uh, down the stretch of the season here to uh, to get him ready. Uh, um, now it's going to be interesting to see though if Thabo Cephalosius comes back healthy. You know how much will Prince play? I mean I think that's a great question. I, I really wouldn't be surprised either way. I could see a situation where maybe Prince begins the rotation, and if he doesn't play well, uh, you know Cephalosius comes in there, and we may not see Prince again for a while. Um, but, um, you know, and we've seen, you know, I've, I've seen some tough love administered to Prince throughout this season. I mean, we've seen the guy come in play a minute, um, miss a a duck under a screen when he was supposed to go over and go back to the bench and we didn't see him again for a week, you know? So, I mean, um, but I think they've been really pleased with the way he's, he's played of late. And I I think you have to be And uh, you know, I was pretty high on him coming into the season. So I, I've, I've been excited about what getting to watch him actually on the court, uh, with, you know, a lot of times with the starters. And, um, you know, I think that really does a rookie well when he can get out there and play with the, you know, the other guys that are at the front of the rotation. And I think that's the best way for them to grow as players. Yeah, I asked Torian this week uh, about one of the things that I thought he does pretty well, which is when he's out there and he's on the weak side of the offense, when they swing him the ball and there aren't a whole lot of defenders on his side, he's seems to me like he's taking a step towards the basket even before he catches it. So I asked him about that. Do you practice like attacking off the catch? Is that like a point of emphasis? Because it seems like sometimes you've got some momentum going towards the rim before the ball even gets to you. Yeah, that's definitely um, something I work on. Uh, just putting yourself in a position to score before you even get the ball. No, I think it, I think it serves us well. I think it serves Bay's well. I got it from him. Um, Topo as well. Tim's great at it. And um, like I said, just learning from everybody around us, around me, and um, just doing what I got to do to help the team in any way I can. So, looking at Prince beyond that idea of taking the ball off the catch and heading to the room, what are some of the other things that you think Prince does well? Oh, yeah. I mean, I think that's the thing that's jumped out at you is, is just the way that he can, um, you know, he, he seems like he's got that first step that he can always get that defender on his heel and has a good uh, good way of uh, finishing. I think his three-point shot, his perimeter shot, uh, you know, and his shot, isolation at time i think there's you know there's something to be desired there but i like his activity i like the way he moves uh on the offensive end uh you know defensively i think it's just about getting experience i mean you know to, in my opinion this this hawks team defensively it hasn't been quite as cohesive as as the units we've seen the last couple of years 
Um, you know, and I think so. I don't I don't want to just pin all that on on Prince. I think it's been a few times that, you know, he's he's missed assignments. He's missed rotations. Uh, but, you know, you can say the same thing for a lot of the other guys that, that are out there on the court as well. So, um, you know, I, I, just, I really like what I've seen from him. And, uh, um, you know, I'm not I'm not convinced we're going to see him playing 28, 32 minutes in the playoffs yet. Uh, but I wouldn't be terribly shocked either if, you know, if he gets in there and he plays well, that, that they roll with him, you know, and you see a veteran guy like Thabo maybe sitting on the bench, uh, you know, a little bit more than what we would have thought at the start of the season. So, um, you know, I don't know. I mean, I, I kind of I kind of like to hear what you think about Torian, uh, you know, from a, a standpoint of his, his uh, positives and negatives and the things he needs to work on. Well, to start with the negatives, because I'm a very negative person. <laughs> I would say, you know, the one thing that stands out in terms of what he doesn't well is what you sort of mentioned already, which is just kind of making the right read on defense. It seems like, you know, there's at least one timeout every game where, you know, he's in there on defense, the other team scores, and, you know, as they're going into timeout, there's, you know, a lot of hand gesturing as you were supposed to be here, you were supposed to be there, and everybody's trying to figure out, you know, what they were supposed to do in that particular version of the pick and roll coverage. And I don't know that it's necessarily all him. You know, I think there was one today where I looked at it and, it, you know, my layman's guess without actually knowing what defense they were specifically in, it seemed like maybe Schroeder was supposed to do it. But there were three people gesturing and, and Torium was in the mix. And I know there have been some times this season where, you know, he's been in there for a minute. And it was exactly that situation. And he goes back to the bench and you don't see him again. So in those situations, I feel fairly confident in saying, yeah, it was him. But, you know, other than that, um, I think there aren't a whole lot of weaknesses in, in his game. You know, he can, it looks like he can shoot, looks like he can get to the rim off of a catch. It looks like he can get to the rim off of a dribble. You know, he's got a big body on defense. He gets up for rebounds. You know, I saw him today standing next to LeBron and, you know, all season long, he's looked like a really big defender. And then I saw him next to LeBron today and it's like, well, maybe he's not that big. But, <laughs> you know, there just really aren't a whole lot of weaknesses in his game. I mean, I think once he gets used to playing NBA defense, I think he's going to be fine. And, you know, you got to consider the, the factors working against him as a rookie. You know, one, he played in a zone scheme last year. And two, he played power forward. So, you know, to be out there and be the small forward guarding guys that can handle the ball like LeBron, that's pretty much a whole new world for him. Oh, absolutely. I mean, you talk about the hardest. It's probably, you know, maybe maybe guarding point guards might be the hardest uh, job in the league. But, you know, I wouldn't be signing up to have to, you know, chase around the guys like LeBron. Paul George, you know, some of the best wing scorers in the, in the game. And, you know, and that's, that's where he's going to be, but I, I agree with you. And I think the, you know, the fact that he's versatile enough that you he could be a small ball four, uh, you know, he could possibly guard some of the bigger shooting guards as well. You know, I think that's what intrigues me the most about him. Um, you know, I'd like to see a, a year, a good year, solid year of growth from him this off season. Uh, but I think he's going to be a big part of this Hawks team next season. Um, you know, and I, I, he would be almost my odds on favorite to be a starter, Wow! Yeah. uh, you know, from day one, from day one next year, I think that's the, you know, I think that's the realistic goal for him. Um, so, you know, it, it'll be interesting to see how it plays out in the postseason, And if he can, he can kind of start building momentum, uh, you know, for that second, that sophomore season in the NBA. 
Alright, I've got one more question for you, and it seems like it could go a lot of different ways, which is, what do you think about the Hawks' backup point guard situation? So, you know, you've got Malcolm Delaney, got Jose Calderon, you've got the take a wing and make them the backup point guard. What is going to happen in the playoffs with this, this backup point guard situation? Well, you know, I, I've been a fan of Delaney's all year. Um, you know, I, I think you and I have talked about it too. You know, his his peripheral, I mean, his his counting stats aren't very impressive. He hasn't shot the basketball uh, with a lot of consistency. Um, but you know, I I think he's been fine. I think he's been good. I think he's been a common influence. Um, you know, Jose Calderon's a veteran. Um, you know, he's more of an offensive player than Delaney is, you know, so I could see a situation for him, but I honestly think, um, you know, if the Hawks are going to be successful in the playoffs then you're just going to have to see a lot of Dennis Schroeder, um, you know, if it's, if it's a situation where Schroeder's not playing in the fourth quarter, um, you know, because, and they're, you know, they're going without a point guard or they've got Delaney in there for the first time time to start the fourth quarter you know or something i just think they're going to be in trouble i think dennis has got to play well and um you know i i think his minutes you know i, I think his minutes are going to go up in the play in the playoffs and i think they're going to have to you know if this team wants to uh if this team's going to get past the first round or, or you know have a competitive first round series i think he's going to have to play better but you know just to answer the question i think you know i think it's almost a matchup matchup uh scenario um you know if if you need if they're looking for a little defensive punch i think you'll see delaney um you know if they just really need to settle things down or feel like they need a veteran you know you're gonna see a calderon you know it's gonna be tough on a guy like calderon if he's having if you're asking him to check john wall or bradley beal um you know so in that if that's the matchup i think you're going to probably see a lot more of delaney but uh you know i'm i'm also intrigued to see if the Hawks, you know if they deploy this two point guard attack a little bit you know i think that's another way to get those guys on the floor if they're playing well so uh but you know just to answer your question i you know i think you're going to see less of the backup point guard and you're going to see more Dennis Schroeder if the Hawks hope to win the you know hope to advance well let me ask you two follow up questions then the right. first one, or I'll give you both of them, and you could take them in whatever order you want. The first one is, you know, what's the number? Like, how many minutes do you think Schroeder will average per game? And then the second one is, let's assume that it's the Wizards in the first round, and they want somebody to come in and be the backup point guard when Brandon Jennings is out there. Um, I think Schroeder's got to average, I think he's going to average uh, 38, 38 minutes in that first round series. And we may even see him go into the, you know, 40, uh, a time or two. Wow. I, you know, I, I don't think, I think that's, un, I don't think that's unreasonable, especially if the games are competitive, you know, if they're, if they're close, I think he's just going to have to play, um, you know, and if it's Brandon Jennings, I mean, I think, I think Delaney, you know, I, I think Bud really likes, I mean, he's not, he's known as an offensive coach, but I think he still hangs his hat on the defensive end of the floor. So I think Delaney's going to get the first crack at it. And, um, you know, I've kind of felt that way all season long. Um, but, uh, um, you know, I wouldn't be shocked to see Calderon, uh, but I also wouldn't be shocked if it's in a two-point guard alignment, you know, when you do see Calderon a little bit. And, uh, you know, and I think it's matchup driven. You know, I don't think you want Calderon out there trying to defend. Like you said, I think even a guy like Brandon Jennings would be a tough cover for him. Um, so, you know, 
but uh you know I, i'm riding with that dennis dennis train and i think that's why you know i think these last two games are kind of important for him i don't know if he's banged up or or what it is but it, you know i think they'd like to see him you know really have two solid games to wrap up this regular season and uh, you know build some momentum for the playoffs all right do you have anything else hawks related you want to talk about Oh, man, I think we covered it. Uh, just, you know, <laughs> what a game. You know, what a game today. I thought we was going to be all down and negative after, you know, for three quarters today. I thought, <laughs> yeah, well, this podcast is going to be a, a barrel of laughs, you know. And uh, and then, wow, you know, I mean, they, they pulled out one of the signature moments of the season. That may very well be their signature win of the season. You know, I don't I don't know. And I just like I said earlier, I, I, I'm intrigued to see what it means about the, for the Hawks, but I'm also intrigued to see what you know how Cleveland responds to that today. I'm I still can't really believe what I saw. You know, I mean, it was just so it was so improbable. But um, you know, that's why you got to watch. You got to play them out. I, I if you were at that game and you left early, you know, <laughs> I, I hate it. I hate it for you. <laughs> <laughs> Do you have anything you want to plug? Uh, just peachtreehoops.com. Uh, you know, we're getting ready for playoff coverage. We're, Brad Rowland does Locked On Hawks. Uh, you know, you can find every episode of that at, at Peachtree Hoops. And, um, you know, we'll be previewing the first-round matchup uh, later this week. Uh, hopefully uh, the schedule will be out, I'm guessing, Wednesday night, early Thursday morning. And, uh, you know, we'll have that up there, and we'll, we'll be locked in for this weekend when uh, everything gets underway. All right. Follow him on Twitter at Chris Willis. That's at K-R-I-S underscore W-I-L-L-I-S. Thank you, Chris, for joining us. Oh, it's my pleasure. I appreciate you having me. All right. Have a good one, man. All right, buddy. Today's episode was made possible by Poli Mortgage Group. Poli Mortgage Group. Rates, integrity, service. 